and welcome to the Hutong Hero. I'm your host, Ryan Price, and today in our no-spin zone, because you know I don't spin, uh, and I don't allow other people to spin on the show. I'm a, I'm a shrewd interviewer, and uh, even when it's blood, especially when it's blood here on the Hutong Hero. And uh, so today I have a self-proclaimed news junkie, but somebody that consumes quite a bit of the news and is somebody that's, I think, very much in the know um, and I think it's a real treat to have him on the show, not just because he's my father, but because uh, he's a very smart guy, very sharp guy, and he also uh, you know, knows a lot about what's going on right now. It's not just a secondhand source that he's getting it from, uh, i.e. maybe some Facebook post. That's what, I, that's what I'm trying to say here. It's, it's somebody that's it's consuming a lot of news on a daily basis, and so I'm really interested to hear his two cents, the one, the only, Sean Price. Good afternoon, Ryan's Podcast Universe. As Ryan said, I am his father, Sean. Yeah, so um, currently right now I'm in the the Bay Area, specifically a small town called Martinez. And uh, in this show, uh, my father and I are going to kind of talk about uh, this coronavirus as as it's existed from when we first heard about it in January to right now. Because when I had first heard about it, Dad, I was actually in the UK. I was living in London with Carrie, my wife, and uh, some big changes were happening in my life. But I remember when this came out in, in early January that this was affecting China and concerns were wondering whether it would be a pandemic. Uh, I remember I was talking to you about it as well. And, uh, you know, it was, it, was, it was, I think I was looking at it in a very different way than I look at it now. So today I want to kind of talk about what we thought about back then uh, when we were thinking about the coronavirus and how it's affecting us now, what we think about it now. And uh, at the end of the show, we'll talk a little bit about uh, what we see for the future because, uh, you know, a lot of people aren't just talking about this virus, but they're saying that the cure is, is possibly going to be worse for us, uh, you know, than just not curing at all this whole self-isolation. So we're going to get into a lot of this, but before we get into the self-isolation, which hopefully all of you guys are doing and you're listening to this podcast, um, before we get into that, we're going to discuss a little bit about, uh, you know, where we were when this coronavirus uh, just started to make headlines. So let's talk a little bit about that, Dad. Um, when you had first heard of coronavirus, that period, uh, can you talk a little bit about that and your feelings um, towards the virus? Well, when I first heard about it, I was, I was basically, uh, it was just a news story. And uh, as the news story developed, um, uh, you know, it become, became clearer and clearer that this wasn't going to stay in China and this was going to make it to the U.S. and to the rest of the world. So while I felt in a way fortunate that uh, I live in the U.S. and um, uh, I have a job that I'm still able to go to every day, mm -hmm. um, whereas so many people are out of a job. Uh, I'm not afraid of getting the virus, but it seems unlikely that I would get it anyways because I am kind of removed from the mass population day to day. So mm -hmm. all that being said, um, I feel fortunate that you know, I don't, I haven't lost a loved one and uh, I haven't lost my job. I'm not a father trying to, you know, feed a family and stuff like that. So I sympathize with all these people and I'm mm, heartbroken absolutely. for everyone that's uh, lost a loved one. On yeah. the other hand, I'm watching this um, and so many thoughts go through my mind. You know, it's, it's good to be living in the modern time. It's, this has to be really similar to the Spanish flu at the beginning of the 20th century and yeah. uh, and uh, just watching how the world reacts to it it's kind of a I think this is kind of a learning experience we're going through this we're doing things in the modern day that we hope will mitigate it and some things are working and some things are aren't so you know, I, I think that's interesting. You bring up the Spanish flu, and on some level, I agree with you. It's better to be uh, facing, you know, epidemics, pandemics uh, like the Spanish flu in modern times. But at the same time, too, I 
I, I want to talk about with you a little bit later in the show, the cure being worse than not, you know, than not using the cure. Uh, the, the, the idea that because of how society is reacting based off of social media and their connectedness, has, has this made uh, society more of a stampede, more of a problem, more of, you know, destroying your economy? Imagine if the Spanish flu happened and we weren't uh, so interconnected. Maybe we wouldn't be having the discussion about whether or not our economy was going to tank. Uh, maybe we would. But on, on some level, people might not be on the same page like they are on now. I don't know if that's necessarily always a good thing, uh, but I see it, it most of the time it is. But before we get into how we're, we're facing it now, uh, to give you an example, as I remember I was in the UK, I was uh, looking for jobs, and uh, I had just decided that I was going to be getting married to uh, my wife, Carrie, Carrie Price. A uh, lovely lady. She's blogging about her experience in quarantine too. For anybody that's interested, really good. But anyways, I remember we were living together in a very small apartment in the UK, and I was looking for jobs. She was working, but we had made some big plans to go to Thailand. And January hits, boom! Big, big news, big headlines. There's a virus that's coming out of Asia, specifically Wuhan, and it doesn't look like it's just going to blow over. It looks like it's something that's picking up speed. So. I remember being in the house and watching this quite often because, again, I'd made such big plans with my now wife to go to Thailand, and I was worried. Uh, I was worried about the well-being of a lot of my friends and family, uh, friends and family around the world, uh, but and specifically friends in China. Uh, but also, I was really worried about. Um, I had spent four months looking for a job in the UK. We were getting married. Uh, we were getting married soon in Thailand, and then as soon as that was done, I would have a visa to work in the UK. So uh, this presented a lot of uh, stress, uh, even when I had first heard about it. But I didn't think it, it would be something we would be having a conversation about on a podcast here in the Bay Area months, literally months later. So that was my first interaction with this virus. And I remember thinking it wasn't going to be something that would affect the whole world. I thought it was something that we'd get kind of get tabs on real quick. The world would work together in some fluid motion and we'd just eradicate this. Whether there was somebody blame or not, when a house is burning down, that's not the fight that you have. I thought we would figure this out and then move on. Um, but now we're having a very different discussion and I think it's interesting. But at the same time, that was my first experience and I'm curious dad because we had talked on the phone about this virus as it was kind of perpetuating in Wuhan but when you had first saw it were you thinking uh, that it would literally be the same way you're seeing it now and if not uh, can you talk about that no uh, at first I mean in recent history this isn't the first um, first uh, uh, disease uh, that's uh, come down the pike. I mean, what we saw SARS, yeah. uh, we saw H1N1, otherwise right. known as the swine flu, MERS, all of these things didn't didn't impact the world or the United States uh, the way it has. So this is unique in that way. And I guess at first, uh, you know, you were of course, uh, you know, going to uh, go to Thailand to get married and. Mm. Um, you know, Thailand, I wasn't too familiar with it. I didn't know if uh, coronavirus had even made it there. But, mm -hmm. you know, in the abstraction, I was worried about not so much it you catching it, but it impacting your plans for a, a beautiful wedding and, and a honeymoon. But um, like I said, uh, we soon learned that uh, I, I guess when President Trump... Um, banned travel from China to uh, the United States. Right. I, that was when I came to the conclusion, hey, you know, this is going to be something different. This something is going to be something really serious. Right. And, uh, and at least our reaction to this was going to be serious right. and, uh, and out of the norm. And, uh, but, so. but initially, it's safe to say you, you didn't see this uh, being what it was. 
what nope. we're, what what we're seeing. I thought right it was going to be like SARS or swine flu or Legionnaires disease, any right. of these things you hear about in the news, and they claim their share of lives and, as well. And but for we those didn't have this reaction, and for those you know that are are listening, you know, those were very much more deadly than this um, than this this strain of influenza we're seeing uh, of this virus of Corona. You know, it's. Uh, SARS and MERS had a higher fatality rate, but far less infectious. Now I'm wondering, uh, you know, do you get one or the other? Can you get them both? Do you not get them both? It's kind of interesting. On some level, it seems the more deadly, the less infectious, the more infectious, the less deadly, but we're still seeing fatalities from this. And I think also we're seeing that we don't know enough about these things that are so... On the, on the surface level, when they first happen, it's like being in a fight. And this guy, you know, he's got a weak little, maybe this person has a weak arm. You're not worried about it. But all of a sudden, this weak arm throws that punch and it catches you. And the whole world felt it. And now we need to know how to look at these potential threats and justify, not justify, but see them for what they really are. Which is, I don't think we were, any of us, prepared for something like influenza like a strain of flu to be such a heavy hitter we've prepared for all the obvious things i think i hope right you know if not we're really in some deep doo-doo but uh it seems like the chink in our armor in the world's armor something that we weren't prepared to even fight together kind of escalated it's interesting because a lot of these problems that we face in the world we face one-on-one as a as a nation i face it as an american and china faces different problems uh england faces different problems but then this comes and you think we should see some kind of unification or or some kind of thing to solve this problem better but we see that we're just not quite there yet we'll talk a little bit about that but i don't think either you or me saw this being a global problem, right? We thought this was a isolated incident that would not be having death toll uh, numbers like we're seeing now, but it is, and it's, it's staggering. And now we're seeing it not just in Asia or a part of the world we don't live in, but it's everywhere. And, and for all of our listeners, you probably know that there's cases going on in your country, and it's not just something our neighbor is suffering from, but it's something we're suffering from. So um, I think that's really interesting that uh, we were caught so unaware just because I, I had so much faith in the governments of the world being on top of these kind of situations, right? Like, let's say if an asteroid was coming to Earth, I had faith that uh, government organizations around the world were preparing for something that I think would be inevitable. And I guess a lot of us just didn't think that this would be inevitable and so we were caught unaware do you do you you know do, do you feel similarly yeah i think uh the spanish flu and its impact is um a hundred years ago right and um i think countries um develop um a defense posture um against things they uh, feel are a current threat. For instance, the United States on 9-11, we were blindsided by terrorism, but now today um, we uh, developed a, a posture, a stance to protect ourselves against terrorism. So in the abstraction, I think, you know, the medical community is always advancing and we're in a good situation to combat this. But I think also we see that cities like New York City and other cities that may well, might have been better prepared for this, kind of let things slide, stockpiles diminish. Um, even on the, on the federal government level, we kind of relaxed a little bit. We didn't keep our stockpiles, our, our change of, chains of distribution ready to attack this type of thing. And I think once we're out of this, that's all going to change well, and okay. we're going to have a better Here, posture. Here's a good point, though. I also think that not necessarily as a place like New York to blame, okay? A lot of people would probably disagree with me, but I'm not pointing fingers here uh, again, and I don't think we should at New York. Um, what happened on the other side of the globe in, in Wuhan, that's not something that New Yorkers should uh, say they, they needed to prepare for on some level. I think, 
you know, the reason why this didn't happen in places like New York is maybe because these are first tier cities of the world where people aren't necessarily having these problems. Wuhan is definitely a, a city, you know, as being somebody that lived in China for six years and worked in Chinese media on the radio, I can say Wuhan is one of the probably considered first tier cities. But the thing about China is it advanced so fast. But I think there's this kind of jet lag with certain generations of people that live a very country-esque lifestyle like you would imagine people living in the country of the United States. You know, maybe they eat things we wouldn't normally see on a menu in a restaurant. Who knows if they're good? I'm not going to point fingers and judge, but definitely there's problems happening from it and something we need to assess. But uh, I think that is a specific situation that led to the uh, virus perpetuating itself is this jet lag and generations being modern in China. And so this problem came. And on top of that, uh, you know, New Yorkers, uh, a very modern place, but some place that's grown very much in modern times. And I think because uh, New York is more modern than not in the mindsets of the people that call it home and work there. I think that's why they weren't prepared for something like this is because they just didn't think people did this. Well, I think there's thing. other things that come into play here, too. And don't get me wrong. I wasn't blaming New York for New York no, yeah, for their, yeah, yeah, yeah. their lack of posture. But they are an international city. They are one of the gateways. And you could probably say the gateway to the United States. And so they would be the one of the, the largest points of entry for people with a disease like this. And... Uh, Combine that with the fact that it is a very large dense city. Combine that with the fact that it's a very busy city, that it's so busy, things just never slow down in New York City. But, but, but how is that any... It's fast. It's how's that easy different? for it to disperse. How is that different from London? How is that different from San Francisco? How is that different from Chicago? No, you're making my point exactly. These are the cities, too, that it's, are actually being impacted. The larger, denser areas that see a lot of international travel... And, um, right, but when this first started, we didn't see this as being the case uh, or even a conversation we'd have, right? Uh, even though New York was uh, what you're describing it, we didn't see it being as bad in New York for some reason. So can we really blame them for not seeing that problem as well? No, once again. Oh, not blaming them, not blaming I them, sorry. I would not use the word blame. Uh, I think... As I mentioned before, when this is over, mm -hmm. we will come out of this stronger, more prepared, and uh, cities like New York, London will be um, practicing and preparing and uh, stockpiling, and and in the future we will have realizing learned what worked and what did not work and do a better job with real this. realizing these places are tinder boxes, even if it's not started in your neighborhood. It's still a potential tinderbox. It's like a fire that happens on the other side of the world. But if those winds get strong enough, that fire can spread. And if you have a lot of proverbial wood and stuff put together, like what we might say places like New York are, we suddenly realize how high risk these places are. And so it's, it's scary, too, because on top of these places being high risk for uh, spread of these kind of things, it's also a place of industry. It's like if New York's crippled, a lot of, because, you know, a lot of our trade and, 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 and immigration and people being able to see their families, you said New York's like an entry point. I agree. This is affecting, you know, so many folks. But I do want to say this. New York, once again, just like in 9-11, the uh, response of New York, the way they come together and handle these type of things and show what America does best and the best of who we are makes me proud to just be an American alongside them. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're performing brilliantly in very difficult times. I, I agree. And, you know, I think that if New York can do it, such a diverse place, hopefully one day the world can work together on a global stage. And when these kind of things happen, these tinderboxes, don't go up in flames in any part of the world, you know. Uh, I think this is a wake-up call now uh, from the beginning to, to where we are currently 
that the thing is, there's it's it's not enough to say, hey, it's your fault and this is your problem. But I think now with how connected we are in the world, no one city stands by itself. Our global economies, our world, it, it's cities stand upon each other and we stand upon each other. And I think it's important that we remind each other that uh, we won't let each other fall. And I hope that that's the case. Honest, honest to God, I hope that uh, people put aside their differences and uh, that we can make it through this. Like I said, guys, if a house is burning down, are you really going to sit there and point fingers at somebody else and say, hey, we wouldn't be here if it weren't for you? Who, how is that guy helping us uh, put this fire out? He's not. So ignore those folks, I think. Uh, and that's what I want to move forward into is to the now, to the people that are talking about it, uh, to this current situation that we're seeing in the United States for a lot of you uh, that have been affected. We'll, we'll discuss how this has happened in the United States for our international li- listeners and um, uh, also very interested in how you guys are dealing with this as well. But uh, now let's get back to this coronavirus that's happening in the U.S. right here, right now. It is April 5th. Um, It's day 10 plus for a lot of people here in the United States of their quarantine that is not going to work, that is staying home together, hanging out together, spending quality time together. I I hope most of you see it that way. Um, instead of at each other's throats. Uh, I know that might be happening somewhere as well. Maybe this coronavirus isn't people's problem. It's that they have to stay with each other. I could see that. I could see that in some people I know. (laughs) Not putting names out there, but okay. So uh, day 10 plus though of quarantine in the U.S. Uh, Here in the U.S. we have about 335,000 confirmed cases of corona right now. I just checked. Uh, that uh, we have seen 9,000 plus, I think it was like 9,500 that we're seeing dead currently in the United States, fatalities from this virus. And then globally, uh, the, death, the death toll here that we're seeing is, is 69,000. But I guess this is pretty crazy because we initially talked uh, at the beginning of the show, we didn't think it was a big deal. Now it seems like the United States is going to contribute one-seventh of the global fatalities that we're seeing from this virus, uh, by, by far not the most. I think actually now we are at the most, uh, but a, a lot of countries have paid this price. We're paying it as well uh, on a big uh, number here of deaths. And so mm, I guess this is making people feel, I mean, I know this is making people feel very scared and uh, maybe we can talk a bit about that is how we've seen this fear uh, the impact of coronavirus in the United States so uh, a lot of people that maybe aren't in the United States but have seen the internet memes that are coming out of the United States know that a lot of people are, are joking about toilet paper so dad explain why here in the United States we're producing uh media content online joking about a lack of toilet paper what's going on with us americans like why did why why was this the the thing we needed and we went out and we bought a bunch of and now nobody can get because this is kind of the situation we're in you know i i really (laughs) sympathize with us dad tell us what you think here let me say first that my heart goes out to all those people that um, have lost loved ones, 9,000. It's just an awful, awful number to contemplate. Right. And, um, lots of, and all the people that are sick, uh, they must be very scared. Yeah. And uh, mm. thankfully, the United States has one of the best, the best uh, hospital uh, health care systems in the world. And, um, and I guess we should all pray and hope that... Uh, we try to uh, do the best we can to mitigate this. But beyond that, so getting back to your question about the kind of the crazier reactions. Right. You know, I try to wrap my head yeah. around this whole toilet paper thing, and you're right. You go to the grocery store, and while it's a little bit better now, the first week there were no cleaning supplies, there's no toilet paper. Right. Frozen food section is gone. 
it's kind of surreal, I mean, for the first time in my life to see this. I mean, it's weird to be... Actually, well, it's kind of weird to living at a time like this where let, you let, can see something like this happening. Let me interject here then. Uh, you bring up an interesting thing I want to talk about. Uh, was there any time in your life that something as scary was going on? And how does it match up to now? No, no, uh, not, not, in, not in my life. No, not, not in my life. I, you know... I've thought about this and, you know, people compare this to a uh, war stance in World War II. And I don't mm-hmm. think that's quite accurate, though, because in World War II, you know, there was an uncertainty of outcome. You know, we were worried that we would be able to defeat uh, Nazi Germany. We were worried that we could beat back um, imperialist Japan. But um, with this, at least where I'm at in the United States and the people I live around and speak to and I get a sense of we have there is there's no one that doesn't think that we're this will be over we're gonna conquer this it's it's a done deal it's just a matter of when and um, another thing too uh, I think most people feel like before this happened things in the US were going pretty good at least for us things were going better than normal and I think the sense I get from people is once this is over, we are going to snap back. We are not going to have to climb our way back. We're going to snap back because we're just going to go back to work and do what we do. What about, I would say, you know, on this question, though, that in your life and, and, and being an American uh, and the different times that this country and the world has seen global events take place, Let's say something like the Cuban Missile Crisis, when the United States and Russia were dangerously close to uh, starting a nuclear war with each other that would have ended life as we know it. Uh, You know, one could make the argument that that was far more scary than something like the coronavirus. What do you think, though? Like, uh, do you think that we are facing an unprecedented scary moment in time? Or do you think that... Uh, this will just be another footnote where we were afraid, but we learned how to control our fear and get through it. Yeah, personally, um, you know, I did, I was a child for the Cuban Missile Crisis very young, so I can't say I really recall it, but, um, wait, 9-11 is a good example. Do you remember people feeling like, oh, let me talk about this though, because I'm interested. 9-11, 9-11, I, I can sympathize, I, I can talk about that, but something like the Cuban Missile Crisis, what, uh, at, when you were a kid, did people look freaked out? Were they also walking down the streets? Were there panic buying? Was was it anything similar to something like this? No, no. But so there this, was, could be, this could be worse. No, but in school, as little kids, we were told to, uh, you know, go through these drills for a nuclear attack and, you know, sit under a kneel under our desks and stuff like that which when you think about it is pretty stupid because it wouldn't have helped you at all but there definitely was a concern um it was the uh the cold war and uh the onset of the nuclear age and the nuclear weapons and i think uh everyone was justifi- justifiably afraid that what if things got out of hand but uh thank god they didn't But, you know, I think looking at that with a global conflict like that, but somehow the world's still uh, able to reason its way out of it from from destruction from nuclear weapons. I hope that we can do the same with this virus we're talking about, though. Now, you know, people seem like they're scared and possibly more scared than Americans were or other people around the world were scared during the Cuban Missile Crisis. So, I mean, the fear is definitely there. Uh, whether it's warranted, that's all relative. Whether you are justified in your fear, there's an argument there, and you are justified in how you feel. But I think that this is um, us letting our fear get the best of us. 
And I think we're pushing each other away in a global community. This fear of an unknown assailant that comes in the night and takes your favorite uh, loved one or elderly uh, loved one or something like this. You know, it's... It's scary, I think, right now. Fear's running high. That's something that is palpable, I would say, in the U.S. I'm seeing deserted dead. You know, right now I'm, I'm in the Bay Area. I'm seeing deserted streets in an otherwise major West Coast metropolitan city. And people around the world, and in the U.S. as well, New York, uh, L.A., I'm sure, are seeing similar things. And it's crazy because... Even at the Cold War period of time in the United States, I don't think you'd see such a halt of all of society that is crazy. People are saying that coronavirus will change humanity. Yeah, personally, I, I, I mean, I, people are throwing that around and uh, uh, I haven't heard a good explanation why that's going to change anything as far as I know or would expect. The only thing it would change is we're going to be ready for this next time. We're going to do things a little bit better, um, but change the way Americans live and people but, in the world. I don't think so. But we're being asked to stay inside, whether we like it or not. We're being asked to give up our freedoms. Some companies and some politicians in the United States are saying we should track people. We should track their movements. We should take that privacy from them to protect them. We are now looking at our problems and wondering if the best way to fight these problems is to take away uh, what we call here in the U- U.S., you know, our liberties. So I, I, I'm asking you, do you think that that might be a fundamental change, that for the first time in, in maybe the history of the United States, we're saying, okay, do this. You know, if it's, if it's going to save my life, take my freedom or take my ability to be... Uh, you know, uh, anonymous in where I go and whatnot. Take it. Well, I think we're branching off into a bigger political discussion when we look at something like but that. But you don't think that change is uh, is a big deal? You don't have to get, like, too politically, to, uh, you know, this is, we don't have to get political about it, so to speak, but do you feel that this is a big change uh, for the future? No. Okay. No more than, I mean, there's a, a portion of the country um, that wants more government. And uh, I personally think with the more government you have, you uh, cede more of your liberty to that government. And there's also a group of people in the U.S. that, that favor smaller government, right. just the necessary government. And they want to, you know, protect their liberty. And um, both have the ability to make valid points and uh so that's that's a different broader discussion but, but you don't see the future our liberties being endangered by something like this no i don't i, okay. I have i want to have faith that americans it's who we are i mean our liberty our uh desire to be free is in our dna and uh while i think we're capable of straying off the path we always come back and remember who we are. Right. And uh, no, I, I don't think Americans want Big Brother to be tracking their every movement. Um, in a way, I kind of more, f- I, I fear more the, uh, the, uh, the very huge tech companies in that way more than the government because I think that they have the ability to watch you and they might sell that to someone that uh, doesn't have your best interests in mind. But once again, we're branching off. You know, there's one thing since but, this, but this, this began. But this, this conversation would not have been had, I think, on a political level, saying, let's give this up so that we can find who's not in their houses right now. You know, because there's a lot of people that are like, I'm in my house right now. But Tom, I know he's joyriding around the town, just getting his, getting his uh, kicks, you know, doing his thing. And nobody knows about it. So yeah. I'm okay with it. Go get Tom. You know, they're, they're not wrong. Tom's all actually being kind of uh, maybe on some level irresponsible. Other people are making sacrifices. He's not. And yet those people that are making that sacrifice are seeing it. And it's not fair. So on some level, you can understand that some people are thinking, yeah, yeah, get Tom. You know what? He takes that dang phone with him everywhere. You'll know where he is. 
But you're right. Uh, on some level, this does beg, uh, this is a whole nother discussion that could be had. But I think it's something that is important to talk about as a change that's come with this. And on, on top of that, you know, uh, I want to talk about other things that we're seeing. So w- what other things in your daily life have changed? You know, because actually, uh, so you're you're still working your essential and in which case you're still driving to and from the place you have to go to work and in which case what have you seen of society maybe uh in the united states what's your take on this big change that's really i i can't comment because i just i'm not living in i don't know people that are living in in misery I, i know they're out there all over but i just kind of lead a simple life where I go to work and work with the other people that are still working and come home. But I hear on the news of all these these people suffering. So my personal experiences, really, to be honest with you, is I'm still going to work and driving around town is like uh, being out driving around on Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, there's just no one out there. There's no traffic and uh, it's kind of easier to get around. But uh, like we were talking about you know, there's no place to go though. The stores are all closed. There's so on no a day off, like your so, your weekend when it finally quarantine goes into the day you should have off, and you're like, "All right, I missed all that work. Now time to have some fun." There's nowhere to go. Bummer, brah. <laughs> you know, it brings up an interesting question, though. All of this, our reaction, and from the onset, um, a question has has occurred to me i would be curious you know we here in the u.s here we've got and i'm sure other countries do too uh, a daily ticker all the people that have contracted it and all the people that have passed away Mm. it would be fascinating for me and i'm saying this in an objective way Mm -hmm. to look at a ticker of all the people that have contracted and all the people that have passed from the regular flu and post that side to side by side to give us some sort of perspective because I just wonder, uh, I just wonder if, for instance, uh, in in a different country where they took a different stance and said, you know what, let's just have our elderly cloistered away. We'll keep them away from everybody. We'll excuse them from work um, and we'll get them the Medicare, they, they'll, uh, the medical attention they need at whatever the cost. But everyone else just lead your normal lives, go to work, get the virus developed, herd immunity as they call it. I wonder, looking at what we're doing versus a country or a society that did that, in the final analysis, who, who's going to be further ahead? You know, I think this is interesting because we have uh, Dr. Fauci. He's on the, uh, the board that in, in the United States is giving daily briefings Along with Dr. Brooks, right? Right. So he said that when you think you're current with the infection rate, when you think that you know the numbers, you're actually two weeks behind. And so I agree. I think a lot of what you're saying is stuff we've learned now. But based off of this very genuine conversation, I think we can agree that what we have said about our thoughts in the beginning of this virus, obviously we have... We didn't have that foresight. And I think a lot of these things that we've kind of just stumbled into trying to do and to trying to catch up, but still having higher death tolls, we need to be patient. Because remember, it could be two weeks before we see those effects. And in which case, we can't judge that right now, oh, look, man, I'm staying inside and everybody's dying. You know, it's it's not like that. It's, it's, it's a lag process. The change you make will be seen later in time. I think that's important to keep in mind and also important to keep in mind for the policies that have been made. I think it would have been a great idea to maybe have the elderly in a more safer place and have the uh, younger generation, the less at risk, still go out to work because on some level, right, we'll discuss here soon, the cure could be worse than actually just having it and getting rid of it, right? What it could do to the economy, everybody not going to work. But I think at the same time, too, we just didn't know. And we've stumbled through this and we've kind of just tried to figure out with the little information that we really have, whether we can do this or we can do that, what we can get away with without 
Because, right, the thing that is if you mess up, it isn't just money that's going down the drain, it's human lives. So you need to make sure that each move you make is a surefire move. And it's hard. It's hard to make those calls. I do not envy any leader in the world right now or any head of a hospital or any doctor. Gosh, my heart goes out to Italy where the doctors have to choose between who lives and who dies. No, thank you. And that this, you know, uh, this kind of thing does never happen again. That would be my dream. But at the same time, too, I think, you know, uh, right now looking at the situation, I think we need to be patient as well. That maybe and hopefully a lot of these changes that we are making will see some fruitful, you know, um, things happen. But also, we can't blame ourselves for not being on top of this or the policies that we've made in a, in a, in a, in a fast manner to combat this, but maybe weren't the most effective, I think. What are your thoughts? I think that um, this is all new for us. And as I said, uh, we're doing the best we can. Um, um, I think when this is over, there'll be books written, lots of analysis, and we'll do it better next time. But I'm no scientist, uh, so I can't, I can only listen in amazement and admiration at Dr. Burks and Dr. Fauci, and I'm not an economist. But what Dr. Every day you hear the focus on uh, Dr. Burks and Fauci, and they're gaming out how much longer we'll have to have this, you know, quarantine posture. But at the same time, I wake up in the morning and I hear the stock market has fallen again. And um, I know that my retirement is diminished again. And so there's another side of that coin that doesn't get much um, news play in the media that, you know, as we talk about, you know, continuing this quarantine into the future, I can't help but wonder, do we really have that time? Because I'm talking to people and I think if we do this much longer, we're going to enter into another depression, maybe a Great Depression. And unlike the last depression, I think especially in the major metropolitan areas, um, in a Great Depression, civilization is going to break down. So there's two sides to this coin. We're paying a lot of attention to the cure and how to get over it. And I realize that's important. And I realize that we're trying to tamp this down so that our our uh, healthcare system can keep up with the pace of the people that are getting sick. But by the same token, there's an other side to this coin that is, isn't slowing down either. We are on a downhill slope with our economy, and um, I just wonder when this is all over, well, well, where we'll end up with that as well. You might, you might be the, I mean, you're painting a, a coin in two sides and things that we would have to choose, and I would hate to make those calls. Uh, you know, uh, human life is precious. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's not something that uh, if it's not you that you're talking about your life, but somebody else's, it still needs to be uh, realized like it's, it's your life that you're talking about always, whether it's whether it's not or it is. That's how uh, we look out for one and one another the best way possible is uh, the empathy. Uh, so I, I actually like that. I like that we go about our business that way, even though sometimes it leads us into trouble and down uh, maybe rockier slopes. I wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, I like that I'm in a country where people look out for me. I'm not just a number in a death, uh, uh, you know, in a, in, a, in a pool of dead people, uh, but rather I'm, I'm a symbol maybe on some level that uh, we're going to get through this and my loss wasn't in vain. Uh, but you're right. This economy, this situation that's moving forward, it's something that needs to be, whether you agree with uh, my dad or me, something that needs to be on the forefront of everybody's mind is because this will be felt no matter how you think. So now we're going to talk about what we see for the future of the world, of the United States, of, uh, of everyone who is feeling this coronavirus in some way, shape, or form, how the future will be when, hopefully, we have the coronavirus under control. So 
you know, one of the big concerns on a lot of people's mind, and let's just talk about it right here at the beginning of this uh, segment, that's the economy. So, you know, I was uh, watching news with you the other day, and uh, I liked what one of the uh, one of the people on the news was saying, one of the uh, uh, one of the guys, the, the uh, officials that are talking about, um, you know, the the economy, just like right right here, right now. And and these this guy was saying, you know, what the economy is? The economy is your belief in the United States, the belief in your country, the belief that things will be okay, the belief that it's okay to spend money, the belief that this ship has not rocked so much that you're more thinking I need to get off it rather than I need to make sure that this ship is okay, I'm gonna continue to sail it. You know, some people might be thinking, oh my gosh, you know, things are gonna get bad there. I need to figure out my next move or or whatever. But maybe a lot of people right now are thinking that this economy is something that's going to be a big deal here in the future. And and what do you think, Dad? What do you think of uh, our economy coming back from this coronavirus? Well, um, I think, as I mentioned before, and uh, I do, and um, I think the people I know and talk to and the America that I know and love, deep down they know we were going pretty good there. And uh, when this is over, I do believe all of us, deep down expect a quick they're calling it a v-shaped recovery but spring right back up and i think that'll happen that being said i'm a little disappointed in american media i mean you know during world war ii we talked about that and while i don't think it's precisely analogous um at least in world war ii i think there was a sense of rallying around the flag and rallying around the president i think the media likes to in the present day hype stories i think instead of rallying around the president there's a desire to attack him and criticize him along the way and well there's a uh, there's an election coming up it's not like it's just uh, i would say there's more increased attention politically because of that but um but and all that aside i i would have hoped that american media really tries to focus on hope and um, not sensationalize the desperation. I think hope is a big deal while they, um, their job is to you know, disseminate the news and in some cases offer their opinion. I think they owe it and we owe it to each other to keep a positive attitude and uh, be hopeful. I like that. I think you're gonna find me agreeing with you on that because if this economy is a belief and we need to believe, simply just to believe in the economy, to spend our money, believe things are going to get better. If that's what's going to bring us back, then yeah, positive mindsets are what everybody needs to have. And you know what? If you don't have a positive mindset, I think you should just be quiet. Because imagine, you know, I was likening the situation to being on a plane. I hate flying, Dad. You know that just as much as anybody else in this family, Carrie included, knows, and she also hates flying. But here's the worst thing about flying is I'm scared. But when I'm on a plane, I try to keep my cool. If that plane moves, you know, I'm sitting there. You'll see me grabbing the chair uh, with every inch of strength looking like I'm really having some issues. (laughs) But I try to not vocalize it. But I think now we're seeing that there are just these people that are as soon as a first uh, little bit of turbulence is hit on this plane, jumping up and be like, oh, oh, and every, (laughs) you know, this scares people. It's like, sit down, control yourself. This economy is a belief, a dollar by itself. If nobody believes there's value there, will not trade goods for it. Therefore, it is literally a belief. Economy is a belief. And going around and telling people it's going to be better and them believing it will make that a reality. That's the equation that I see fixing this. So if you are one of those people that are going around and just saying doom is gloom, we're, we're in deep doo-doo, blah, blah, blah. You know, in the words of, uh, of Trump, get him out of here. 
I, I, I don't think that this kind of uh, attitude is going to be helpful in, in, in moving forward in the future. That's my two cents. I agree that belief is important because belief is the whole centerfold in how this country becomes, uh, you know, a country that can give jobs to everyone, can give people a safe place to live. That's what a country should be. And I think for a lot of other countries around the world, too, they need to believe that things are going to get better because they will. And the thing is, I was telling Carrie about this. You know, we had a lot of big plans and things seem really bad. Life isn't handing us lemons. We're not making lemonade. Life right now is handing, handing us crap. But the thing is, crap's not useless. You can take crap, grind it up, put it in, your, put it in the ground, and that'll make fertilizer that'll grow plants in a couple months like you've never seen before. And I think that's the way we should look at this time is have faith that it's going to get better. But it's okay today that it's not. Work today for something that we can plant in the ground in this big pile of crap that one day when it's done will give us shade that will provide for us. That's how you turn this situation into a win. Yeah, no, I think uh, fear is as, as, it's a, it's contagi- a choice. as contagious, more contagious than than the disease. But um, I just want to say that I'm absolutely proud of my country. I mean, we are literally the home of the brave. And we totally got this. And um, I'm so proud of our tireless uh, frontline responders. Our scientists are going to set records for developing a vaccine. And, um, and it's, I think, also our faith in God that sustains us during these times. And we're a country of faith and we're a, we're a country of brave people. So whether it's in the smaller uh, scope of fighting a disease, you stay positive, you'll get a better outcome. But also as a country, you stay positive, there'll be a better outcome. There's, there'll be a time and place later on to dissect everything. But when we're in the middle of it, we need to keep it positive. I think that uh, a, a strong belief in something bigger than ourselves, and also, uh, you know, our, our our humanity being brave in times of crisis, that's not something that the U.S. can just tote. I think it's how we've seen a lot of our success, but it's something that's inherent in all human beings. Because the United States is one of the most diverse countries in the world. It is a country of immigrants. It is not just one. You know, like China is 95% Han Chinese. The United States is Chinese. It's, uh, you know, whatever we are, a mix of Europeans, Hispanics, Mexicans, people from all over the world, showing that we can work together. And I think that shows that mankind is brave. Mankind can love each other despite our differences. And that believing in something bigger makes us rally to it, whether it's a country, whether it's a God, whatever you need. Don't judge other people for what they believe or how they're rallying or how they're getting through. You find your own. But the thing is, uh, everybody needs to find that right now, I think, and it should be there. And if it's not, it's something that you can work on. You can plant in the ground right now. And that if there's a big problem in the future, you will handle it like a superstar. Be brave. There's no fear isn't going to make our problems go away. Only a calm head. Just imagine, you know, I think to all of our listeners, imagine when you've done something afraid. How is that outcome afterwards? It's not easy to control the fear. But we must try because that is when we get the best outcome, I think. So with regards to this economy, don't let fear take advantage of you because it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It will happen. I think that's what really is being discussed right now. Will the economy tank? That's up to you, America. That's up to you, world. You need to believe. You need to be able in the times of dark, see the light. And I disagree that the United States is just the the home of the brave. I think we are uh, a place where brave people call home. But I can tell you that there are doctors all over the world fighting on the front lines, giving their lives, their safety, everything for people they don't know, strangers. 
and bless them all. I think those are the heroes of the world. This isn't just, we can't just think of one country anymore. I think we need to think of, uh, uh, we're, we're, we're so connected now, we have to be global. So it's not, uh, it's not just one of us. It's one or, you know, it's, it's, if it's just one of us, then it's none of us. So we need to make sure that moving forward, uh, everybody tries to get a piece of the pie and that we make that hot, uh, possible. And um, that being said, uh, moving forward with the economy too, I think it's important that we try to help uh, other countries, not just ourselves, recover from this. Because I think, wouldn't you like to, if you got knocked off by something especially that wasn't your fault or your problem, but you're just some guy, bystander that got knocked down, Instead of seeing somebody drive past you, just looking, and, and maybe they're giving you a sad, sympathetic look, but that's almost salt on the wound. Wouldn't you like to be, if you're in that position where fate has dealt you the, the smallest hand of cards, that somebody else comes by and reminds you that this isn't just I win and you lose, but we win together. That's, that's what I want to see. That makes me happy. Because if I'm the only winner... Winning's a lonely place. I'd rather be in the company of everybody else. So uh, the economy needs to be all of us winning, as is, is my point and how I view it. But on top of the economy, what do you think is going to happen in the change of the healthcare system? Do you think the United States will now be more prepared for Whatever comes our way in, in the form of a virus or a pandemic, what do you think? Do you think we're ready? We'll be ready for the next time a virus comes in and makes itself known. Yeah, I think so. I think, as I mentioned before, um, once this is over with, we're going to dissect it. A yeah. lot is going to be written on it. We're going to find out what we did good and what we did poorly. And <clears throat> yeah. Just after like after 9-11. And then we'll develop a posture, a posture of readiness for the next time. It does beg the question, though, another thing I've thought of. We have had this response of sheltering in place, right. um, um, damaging our economy. There's, there's no way of denying it. It's, it's damaged. But this won't be the last flu that comes down the pike. In fact, they're saying that uh, possibly next fall, next winter... Coronavirus will come around again. Are we going to do this again and again in the future every Good time um, a flu comes down the pike? And you want to think, Good question. no. So, um, but by the same token, you got to do what you have to do. But so I'm hopeful that um, that uh, changes will be made. That we'll look on this, we'll prepare, we'll ask the questions. What if another one comes along? Can we develop a vaccine that might just uh, take care of something more than just one small part of the family of uh, viruses? Like, I guess uh, coronaviruses is, is one of a number of viruses in a family of viruses. We'll develop better, better medications, better preparedness. Um, I'm sure in America we were already asking this question. The question will be brought up now. You know, everyone deserves health care. Are we going to go to single-payer healthcare, universal healthcare that many in the people, many people in the world, have in other countries, or are we going to uh, stick with the healthcare system we have, and that has has had its own positive benefits too, but clearly doesn't cover everyone. Um, you know, for instance, as the NHS does in England. So these are questions that I'm sure America is going to. Uh, uh, have to address again and further uh, once we're over this. Um, I think uh, America is going to look differently at China. Um, China, I know you and I disagree on this, but China, you know, they denied that it even happened there, but it happened there. Um, and I don't blame them. You know, these things can happen anywhere in the world, but, and I don't, let me be clear, I don't blame the Chinese people. The Chinese people, when I was over there, were the nicest, friendliest, down-to-earth people I've ever met. But that being said, their government shut down uh, communication with the rest of the world, 
hid the facts and you mentioned earlier you think the United States probably has the most um, deaths and and uh, infections in the world I'm gonna say I I doubt that I'm guessing that China's got way more than we do but we'll never know because they keep it quiet and on top of that they blame the US for starting it at one point right. and now they're continuing to keep their wet markets open no, no. so I think our and when tough time rolls, tough times roll around, you look at people that do things right. well right. and people that do things but poorly. But you don't judge a group of people by those that are in that group, a few of them doing things poor. So remember okay. that. I, I, I'm I, not, I said I, that. Right, absolutely. I'm just saying. I may be American, uh, but I don't represent all Americans. And I sure wouldn't want a bunch of other Americans uh, representing me. I'm, I'm different. I'm an individual. And I think that's how, because I want to be seen that way, I will give other people that respect as well. And in which case, like I said, it's, in my mind, it's mute. You're pointing your finger, and you're not solving the problem. I would, I would say no fingers, let's get this fire out, then we'll talk about how we can make it better. But I agree there was some communication issues and a lot of political stuff going on with regards to uh, how this virus was being handled on a global stage, but without getting into it, because I just don't see it being super constructive, as I just said. What I see being constructive is now let's talk about how I, on an individual level, because I'm not President Trump, I'm not uh, an official in China, I'm not, I'm not those people that are calling these shots, but I do call my shots on a daily level and on a, on a, on a daily basis. And maybe uh, this is where I want to take uh, the, the last bit of our conversation here is how can I do my part to make things better? Well, I think spreading uh, positivity uh, because a lot, uh, a lot of things are on the line and it seems like belief is what's vital to making sure these things uh, in our country and the global economy uh, comes back. Belief is so important. So spread a positive vibe. And you know, here's a story for you, Dad. The other day I was, uh, I was driving back from uh, work and uh, you know, I, I, I was on essential status uh, too. So I was driving to do some emergency construction on a house. And uh, in which case, I remember I stopped at a gas station. I went inside. You know, it's kind of crazy because all these other businesses are pretty, pretty much closed. But you go in a gas station, you see somebody there. The lady, she was an older lady uh, working behind the desk, didn't seem too frazzled at all. In fact, she seemed to be touting this very positive, positive attitude. And I saw right there firsthand what she was doing. She's like, you know, the world is bad. I get that. But... I'm not going to go around and, and, uh, and, and show that on my face. I'm going to show everybody as reassuredly as I can that we're going to be okay. I got that vibe genuinely. And I remember when I went up to the checkout, I said thank you to her. I said thank you for you know, working. Thank you for being here. And thank you, uh, you know, uh, for having such a good attitude. And she said, uh, you know, she actually thanked me for saying that. And I don't know, maybe it's just a cliche moment, but I'm sitting there and I'm thinking like, you know, heroes aren't just the guys that are on uh, task force trying to figure this out, but it's also those people that chose on the day of X of quarantine that instead of being like, oh man, I hate quarantine, they said, you know what? I'll put a smile on my face. I'm gonna go out there. I'm gonna ask people how they're doing. And I'm going to try to restore some kind of sense of normality to others around me. That is, I think it's amazing. I love that. And I hope everybody around the world can do that. Because it's such a gift. Imagine, you know, uh, people, This you'd be the richest man in the, in the world if people could call you and you could help alleviate their problems or make them feel better about it. Even if the problems will still be there, sometimes we just need a bit of positivity when uh, negativeness just overtakes us. Some days we go to bed and then we wake up, positivity's back. But in those moments where we're weak, let's remind each other that it's going to be okay and that we're going to look out for each other. I think that will make the difference 
for the future. And that's something we can do on an individual level. What do you think? What would, what would you say could be an individual thing you could do to help? Well, throughout this, I've been inspired on so many levels. I am inspired by the first responders. And I think, God, I wish I were a first responder. I would like to stand beside them and help them do what they're doing. And, Mm -hmm. uh, I look at corporations that stop making what they make to retool and make stuff to uh, help fight this this disease. Yeah. And um, they're heroes. They cut their bud. You know, they they take their workforce instead of making a profit in making what they make as their staple good. They're taking fifty percent or whatever of their workforce and making things we need. And even just to in the, on the, in the small town small towns around the country, individuals that uh, take it upon themselves to go out to the supermarket for the elderly or develop, yes. uh, yeah. you know, deliver medical mm. supplies or prescriptions to the elderly that are afraid to go out. I mean, I mean, God's got to be so proud of those people. Thank, and, thank and you. They, I am. They make me feel like I'm not doing anything. But I think, and we talked about this earlier off the mic, I think uh, that... Um, the magic of a smile yeah in the face of adversity just a, a warm smile can change another person's entire day i mean how many how many of us have been having a really crappy day mm-hmm. and you run into someone that gives you this really bright happy smile and you walk away changed i yeah. think there's a magic in that and Absolutely. if we smile a little more we're more decent to people uh, we try to help wherever we can. We'll all be better for it. Absolutely. And now more than ever, because it's needed. Mm-hmm.